Welcome to Football and Other Efforts. My name is Zach Lyons. You can follow me on Twitter at EffortsPod. He's Mike Kernan. You can follow him on Twitter at Mike NFL. And I just realized I need to switch us on the video here, but I am broadcasting live off of my cell phone. So I don't know how great <laughs> the quality of this video or stream is going to be, but we're going to power through it here. I am on location at a house that I'm about to be listing in the next week at Spring Hill, LaQuire Lane. So be looking at that in Beautiful Wade's Grove right down the road from like you could walk there to Summit High School and Spring Hill Station or Spring Station, whatever that station camp, whatever it's called, middle school. <laughs> um, but five bedrooms. I'm in one of the bedrooms right now uh, up at the top so I can make sure I got good cell phone reception, walk in closets, all this kind of stuff. Just a little shameless self-promotion if you are interested or needing a house in Spring Hill area. And of course, Mike. For his shameless promotion, I'm going to promote someone else, and that's Paul Kaharski at paulkaharski.com. But you can read all of his works. That's Mike and Paul's. You can read Mike's latest about defensive expectations because nobody's really talking about the defense or anything like that. And Mike was on Robbie and Rex Road on Tuesday, if I recall correctly. And he That's talked true. about expectations for Harold Landry specifically and gave out a little projection. So I'm going to have him talk about that projection for Harold Landry in the production. We're, of course, going to talk about DeAndre Hopkins, Kevin Byer, Tier Tart. Once again, proving that I am always right in Tier Tart. Um, then we're going to talk about minicamp as well. Uh, but before we get all that, guys, go to either a football show on iTunes or go to football and other F-words on iTunes. And give us five stars, leave a review with your name on it, and then go and subscribe to the in crowd at Bluegrass Beverages or Sinker Beverages on their website. The reason you need to do that is because tomorrow's the last Thursday, 1 p.m., we are announcing the last winner. We announced one winner on Monday. Last winner will be announced on Thursday on the football show, 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, that you are going to get to go. For free, up to the Bourbon Trail, up to the Wild Turkey Distillery, and choose a Russell's Barrel. I don't know what all that means because I am not a uh, bourbon uh, bourbon head, I guess you'd say. I like to drink it. That's about the extent of my knowledge to it. But apparently, this is a big deal. Russell's Reserve is what you're going to be tasting and picking. And I guess you're going to taste a few out of a few different barrels, and you're going to get to choose the barrel that Bluegrass Beverages and Sinkers Beverages sells in their store it's pretty remarkable we're taking a party bus up a party bus back drinks will be on there it's a free trip it's the greatest giveaway in the history of sports media um it's gonna be awesome so make sure that you do those three things rate review the podcast either or the podcast and subscribe to the in crowd at those websites mike how are you doing today as i'm going to switch us around on the video I'm I'm doing good. Um, this this DeAndre Hopkins news is uh, exciting and fun, and uh, that adds a little uh, a little excitement to the day for sure. So yeah, doing well. Uh-oh. Yeah, the uh, I mean, listen, there are as many people. There are a lot of people, and, and maybe not a lot. And there were a few notable Twitter accounts that I don't remember their exact wording, so I don't want to name names and be like a little bit wrong because then they'll just come back and say, oh, yeah, that's not really what I said. But there were people that alluded to the fact 
that this team is probably not interested in DeAndre Hopkins, which is a wild thing to say, in my opinion, which is, is just ignoring the copious amounts of history, evidence, need, everything that you want, just because Tannehill was listed in the top five quarterbacks, just because people think that Tannehill isn't a good quarterback, just because they think this team isn't that great of a team. But D-Hop coming to this team is a big deal. And in the first visit, now, they're not the only team interested because it was later put out right after the initial visit was announced. It was later put out they're not the only team interested. But this is the first visit. And it wasn't put as the first of many visits. And sometimes all you need is that one visit to make the impression. Mike, how important do you think it is that like Monday or Tuesday of next week, DeAndre Hopkins has announced that he's signing with the Titans? Like, do you think that this is their best shot at getting DeAndre Hopkins now? Or do you think they're still going to be in play later on down the road if other teams show interest and other teams start to court him? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think I, I would say that the likely scenario right now is that he knows who all is interested. He knows the teams that are interested. They have a feel for what kind of contract they would even be willing to discuss. And I would say that the fact that he is coming to Nashville tells me that the Titans have been pretty aggressive on, on that front and that he's interested to hear more of what they have to say. And and look, I mean, there are times where, where we see these free agent visits and the, they make a visit and they don't leave until there's a contract, you know, signed. So ideally that's what happens if you're the Titans is, is you get them in the building, you have them go through the physical or whatever, do, you know, the contract negotiation and, and boom, he, he's signed on Monday or Tuesday and, and, you know, you move on and he doesn't have to take other visits. Now I, you know, I don't know if, if, It'll be interesting to see over the next few days, because we're still a good ways away from Sunday, whether there are subsequent visits planned and reported before he even gets here. Right. So I, I think right. that will be interesting to see. Um, you know, he could always cancel those, but, um, you know, that will be interesting to see kind of what the if it looks like he's going to make a full, full free agent tour, which was kind of suggested. And look, I mean, from Hopkins point of view. I don't know that there's a big rush because if you think about it, that, you know, mini camp is over uh, by Sunday. Um, I think they'll have one more OTA session next week, which, you know, will probably end up being canceled. Um, if I had to guess, cause that's what Vrabel hinted at yesterday anyways, in the press conference. So um, I, I think he didn't say canceled. He said shit canned shit can. That's right. Yeah. Sorry. Apologies. Um, but the, uh, yeah, I think there's a pretty decent chance that like, you know, the next time they're on the field will be training camp. And so there's really not any huge rush um, besides just you want to get them in knowing, you know, learning the playbook and, you know, all that stuff as soon as possible. And maybe if there's, you know, little wide receiver and quarterback get togethers over the off season that he could be a part of that and kind of get some early chemistry going before training camp. So I, it'll be very interesting to see how this all plays out timeline wise, but it, it feels very reminiscent. And I don't think I said this two weeks ago, which was the last time that we recorded. I think I said this on a football show, but it's very reminiscent of Jadavian Clowney. Like this whole situation just yeah. reeks of a Jadavian Clowney situation where it's 
it's a little bit different because he could take visits. This isn't COVID, right? Like, so that was in the height of the COVID years. Um, it's a little bit different, but it just kind of feels like it's a, a former Texans player going to kind of wait around. He doesn't really need to come to practice, though it would be great if he came to practice, and he's going to eventually find out that the number that he had initially isn't going to be the same number that he ended up with at the end because the mark is just not there for him. Uh, so to me, that's kind of what it feels like. But this is who would have I, I knew that they would be interested. Yeah, I, because I we we, we we talked about this as a and I kind of wrote this on my Memorial Day piece over at stackinginbox.com about all the ties that the Tennessee Titans have. It's not just Tim Kelly and Mike Vrabel. It's Tim Kelly, Mike Vrabel, Charles London, Pat O'Hara. And um, also Rand Carthon has a connection and a pretty extreme connection to DeAndre Hopkins. Not like the other guys, but he has been scouting. Part of his job over with the 49ers has been scouting the opponents, putting together the opponent's players and presenting that film, cutting up film, showing what he sees and giving it to the coaches. So he has been scouting all the way since 2017, DeAndre Hopkins, because DeAndre Hopkins played against the San Francisco 49ers back in 2017. And he averaged, I believe, is 105 yards per game versus the San Francisco 49ers throughout his career since Rand Carthon's been there. So Rand Carthon has seen up close and personal multiple times a year what DeAndre Hopkins is capable of. So to me... It's always been a no duh that they're going to, you know, talk about. And the fact that they're bringing him in for a visit is, is, is huge because we, we've, I've kind of talked about it a few times, but going back to them wanting the third overall pick, you knew that DeAndre Hopkins was kind of talked about in those trades. You knew that means that essentially the, Titans and other interested teams have talked to DeAndre Hopkins representations about what he's willing to take, what he's willing to do with his contract. So they've kind of done all this groundwork and now we're a couple weeks into it and first visit is the Tennessee Titans, which is a good sign and make no bones about it. It's all about money. <laughs> like this idea yeah. that the top five quarterback matters that the uh, really none of everything that he has said that he's looking for in his next team doesn't matter. Throw it out the window. It's all about money. And, and let me throw out one more uh, in in the building connection for you with with Hopkins. And this one may be, I think, more important than what what it may sound like initially. Brian Bell, who is the assistant director of sports performance for the Titans, so on on the training staff, um, was with an assistant strength and conditioning coach for the Texans. And from 2015 to 2017, he came over with Vrabel and has been here ever since. But those guys, those guys work with the players a lot. Like they spend a lot of time with the training staff, obviously. So there, there's a decent chance that Brian Bell, you know, is another friendly name. Not That's not to say that like Brian Bell would be the reason that DeAndre Hopkins would come here or anything. But the Titans do offer a lot of friendly, familiar faces to Hopkins that he's not necessarily going to get at other places. I mean, even Houston, I mean, that you're talking, it's basically a brand new regime there compared to what he left a few years ago. So um, I, I think this does offer a big time comfort factor for them, for him. He's, I mean, it's closer to home for him to, he knows um, the offense. Know. Yeah. He, he knows the offense. He would have no issue with the, the terminology or the language. 
Um, and and just I think that relationship with um, Vrabel is is important too. I mean, because he he is the head coach, he's got that mutual respect with him, and the fact that Vrabel likes him, I think you know, because if Vrabel hated DeAndre Hopkins, this meeting would not be happening. This is you know he wouldn't be coming in anything like that. So I think the you know the reports about him not wanting to practice or not really being crazy about practicing. I think some of that stuff gets massaged away by the relationship with Vrabel because if Vrabel can say, hey, look, man, we need you to practice. We need you to get on the same page with Tannehill. I think coming from somebody that he already respects and has that personal relationship with, I think that's different than coming into a new situation with a coach that he's never met before, doesn't have any sort of background with, and that coach asking him to do it. So I, I think there's a lot that makes sense yeah. for both sides. Because you know if he went to the, the Browns, he'd be out there catching passes from Deshaun Watson, right? I mean, like he, I, I think I think this not like to practice for DeAndre Hopkins is also different than Julio Jones. And I I think we've talked about it too, is that they're both two different wide receivers. Like one is not his game, DeAndre Hopkins' game is not built around explosiveness. His game is built around being a possession kind of receiver. And to me, that's a big thing when you're looking at their age, when you're looking at possibly them, you know, at certain points of their career coming over to a team that is in desperate search of a wide receiver to and needing them to play. What I kind of liken what DeAndre Hopkins can bring or do, and it's a little bit higher level than what Larry Fitzgerald did. But remember when Larry Fitzgerald switch to the slot and he still is putting up seven to 800 yards a game or not a game, yeah. but a season it, well into his, into his thirties. Like to me, Deandre Hopkins is that kind of receiver that can play into his thirties and maybe not provide you a 1200 yard, eight touchdown kind of season, but could provide you enough for this particular team to make an impact. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I like that role for him. I, I think you could find a way to make the skill sets work between Burks and Hopkins and Phillips. And then even like, you know, if you want to throw Chris Moore into the mix, it's kind of a fourth wide receiver. But if you look at if you, and this is the crazy thing to me with Hopkins and why this makes so much sense for the Titans is if you throw Hopkins into that mix with the wide receivers plus Chica Conquo and Josh Wiley and Tajay Spears, that all of a sudden that changes the whole complexion of the, the pass catching group. Because instead of it all being based on like young guys that need to make a, that are talented, but need to make big steps forward. Now you have like a guy who has real skins on the wall, who, you know, what you're going to get to some degree. Like, look, Hopkins isn't what he was at his, prime prime peak like I, I think that's pretty clear but I don't think he's fallen off the cliff yet I mean he was averaging you know close to 80 yards per game last year when he played and that was mostly with Colt McCoy and Trace McSorley throwing him the football he wasn't he I like thought he was three, closer to 90 yards per game I thought he was like 87 yards was, per game last year he was it was somewhere in that range it was somewhere in yeah. that range but it was it was highly productive um, and that was with only like three games of Kyler Murray. Better than Robert Woods' uh, twenty yards per game. Right, exactly. So <laughs> I, I think he's he's still capable of producing. Um, and his difference too with the the Julio thing, he's a year younger. That's not necessarily a huge difference, but he is a year younger. 
And like you said, he has a very different game. He is not a explosive athlete. And, and Julio, his calling card was the fact that he was an explosive athlete. Well, what came with that explosive athleticism was this hamstring issue that was a chronic issue for Julio and it had been managed for years and years and years. That is not something that, that Hopkins has. He has had hamstring issues. He's had a couple over the course of his career, but it's like two over a 10-year career at this point. Um, and it's it's not been like a recurring chronic issue. The The most recent injuries that he's had that have caused him to miss games the last couple of years, he had a, a chest, uh, like rib sprain, uh, whatever that was, and then in 2021 and then he had uh he did have a hamstring in 2021 and then he had a knee uh mcl tear in in 2021 and then last year the whole like knee flare-up thing at the end of the season which i think a cardinals reporter has recently come out and said that basically they they think he was saying i'm not interested in really playing these last couple games because we're tanking anyways and what's the point of me being out there um so I don't think that that shows like a that's not like a pattern injury like Julio Julio's was. Um, I think that's something that maybe you can do a little bit more with from his like body breaking down standpoint. I, I think that you're more likely to get 15 or 16 games out of him than you ever were out of Julio um, coming out of, you know, coming into this situation, if that is what they do. I mean, for me, like, you know. If you got DeAndre Hopkins, what do you think are some realistic expectations? Because I'm looking at it as I know he's probably going to get paid more than what this production sounds like he needs to get to honor his pay. But sometimes the the Tennessee Titans have put themselves in a position that they're going to have to overpay. Like to me, the the Tennessee Titans are a run heavy team that has a massive need for DeAndre Hopkins, which means that he has technically the leverage because not only does do they need him, there are other teams that ha- are probably in, in better situations that would also like to have DeAndre Hopkins service. So they're probably going to have to overpay. So my first question to you, I, I'm going to backtrack. So this is my first question. What does a deal look like for you that you'd be like, that makes sense to me? I don't want a one-year deal. And I know that may sound crazy with his age, but I think a two- or three-year deal, and he may not want a two- or three-year deal, but yeah. I would want I would want DeAndre Hopkins. I'd feel really good about a two- or three-year deal because I want someone that can grow with Burks for a little bit longer than one season, but also be there for Will Levis, who presumably will probably be your quarterback next year. Yeah, I mean, I, I think... My preference would probably be a one-year deal just to just for the the sake of let's let's see what you've got for this year and we're not going to put anything on next year. And I think I actually think that'll be Hopkins' preference is to get a one-year deal because look, if there was big time money, like and I've already seen some people saying, well, they're going to have to give him crazy money or whatever. If there was crazy money available for DeAndre Hopkins, he would have already been traded for. Like a team wouldn't wouldn't be sitting here risking not getting him for, you know, a sixth or seventh round pick if, uh, if you know, that was on the table, right? So I think Hopkins realistically, like, I think what you're looking at is like a one-year, 
and I, I'm not sure he can get $15 million, even though I know that's what uh, Odell Beckham got. And he's look, he's better. He's a better bet than Odell Beckham, in my opinion. Um, you know, he's a, he's, a, you know, got more recent production than, than Odell Beckham does for sure. Um, so I would say something like a one year, $10 million base with, you know, incentives that can easily get him up to like 16 or 17 million, I think makes sense. And look, you can structure those incentives because he didn't have a ton of production last year because he was out. Those are easy to make, like not likely to be earned incentives and have them not count against this year's cap. Right. So you can have it, uh, you can do it on games played, you know, say 10 games played, he gets a you know million dollar bonus. Uh, 12 games played, he gets another million-dollar bonus, whatever. Um, you could do it based on yardage or touchdowns or however you want to structure it. But I think you you put in some pretty easy-to-achieve incentives in there that can take him from $10 million up to $16 or $17 million. And I think that makes sense. Or you do, like, two years, $30 million with, like, you know, only maybe a few million of that guaranteed into year two. I, I don't know. I, I think – I think you want to make it to where you could get out after this year if things blow up. Um, but I think those are kind of the options that are on the table for them. What do you think about expectations for yards? Because I'm thinking, like, in this offense, like Corey Davis, A.J. Brown kind of deal where we have one 1,000-yard receiver and we have another receiver. That was so damn close to 1,000 yards. And I think, like, Five to seven touchdowns because I think, you know, I, th I feel like the Tennessee Titans are going to get, and we'll talk about this about the mini camp, are going to get to the red zone goal to go area, which they've done so well historically under Vrabel at scoring once they get there. The problem has been the last two years is getting to that point. So, do you think that's like a realistic expectation? Is that essentially, yeah, like if Traylon Burks is, goes down, yeah, DeAndre Hopkins needs to get to 1,000 yards, but does he need to get to 1,000 yards for his impact to be felt on this team? I don't think he necessarily has to. I mean, I, I think anything, you know, 800, 850 plus would be good enough um, for what they're going to want to do. Like, I, I still don't think this is going to be a team that throws the ball, you know, 650 times next season right so I, you're gonna have to scale everything based on what the offense is Derrick Henry getting his touches Traylon Burke still needs to get his touches Ch Chigakonkwo still needs to get his touches um, I don't think you necessarily want to force feed Hopkins in this situation like you know 170 targets or anything crazy like that I, I think this is it's going to be more balanced you know, and you want to get Tajay Spears some touches. Like, there's a lot of guys in this offense that you definitely are going to want to feature to some degree, um, even if you have Hopkins out there. And even if he is, you know, pretty close to whatever, you know, the the Hopkins that we've seen over the last few years has been. So, I, yeah, I think he could be in that range. I think realistically right around 1,000 yards is probably what I would expect for him. Um, and then you hope if Burks takes that step forward and he's close to a thousand yards, then you're like, I, I mentioned on Twitter, you're starting to generate something that looks more like that AJ Corey Davis, Johnny Smith at, you know, Adam Humphreys combo that Ryan Tannehill had wild success with. And so if, if you can do that and if Hopkins can be, you know, some piece of that, 
then I, I think that's a tremendous addition for this team. I mean, I think he makes a huge difference for the Titans. He makes a bigger difference for the Titans than just about anyone else, in my opinion. Let me ask you a question. Do you, are, if he were to sign with Tennessee, are you more excited for the on-field success, or are you more excited that every, a bunch of talking heads and Twitter accounts are going to have to eat their fucking words? <laughs> well, I do love uh, some good, uh, you know, crow being served out. But I, I will say I'm more excited about the on the field product and what what I mean, what this passing game could actually look like, uh, you know, and, and like you said, if they do sign him to a multi-year deal, what it could look like with Will Levis or, or whoever in the future, um, you know, and Chig and Burks, like all established and in in their careers. And you're, you know, sure you've got tail end Hopkins at that point, but that could be a really fun uh, core offense to, to watch over the next few years, which would, would be a huge turnaround from where we were earlier this offseason. If DeAndre Hopkins is signed, are you coming back on the light side of things, like into the light, out of the darkness, and coming with me that we're going for double-digit wins or, better, or higher, like 10 wins or higher? Yeah, I think I think I would probably be out of the darkness. I'll I'll come out yeah. of the darkness if they get Hopkins because I, I think okay. and look, I think it's a huge deal. I, I think Hopkins is still a huge deal. I don't know that he's like a top five receiver anymore, but I still think he's in the top ten to fifteen range. Um, and I think that makes a big difference to an NFL offense that has some decent pieces but needs that like focal point passing game weapon. Um, and I think he can still be that. All right, guys. Bluegrass Beverages is our sponsor, Hendersonville, Tennessee. They have a sister store, Sinker's Beverages in East Nashville. Join the in crowd. Get exclusive information on advance notice of new liquors, new beers, specialized beer and specialized liquors and all that kind of stuff. You also, if you do that and then rate and review either football show or football and other F-words by tomorrow by 12.59 p.m. Central Standard Time, you, so Thursday was today to the June 8th, Thursday, June 8th, 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. Uh, we will announce the winner of a barrel pick that is taking a party bus up to the Russell or I guess Wild Turkey Distillery to choose a barrel of Russell's Reserve, which is some fancy, nice ass bourbon. So great competition there for everybody to enter. Those are the how you got to enter. Kevin Byard is back. At minicamp, uh, we are recording right now. Do we know that he is talking today? Oh, is, is he? I don't know. Well, no, do we know? I, I don't know if, yeah. you, if you've seen it on your Twitter that if he's going to be talking to the, the you know, because the, the players should be talking here while we're probably recording. Yeah, uh, I, I haven't seen anything about him talking yet. I do know that he was supposed to be talking later in the week, but I thought, it, I thought someone said yesterday it was going to be Thursday and not today. Well. I haven't seen anybody know for sure if he's ever talking. Like everybody that I talked or heard on the radio today, including Paul Karski, they don't know when he's talking. So maybe that's changed today, but I think the assumption was that he was going to talk this week. But I put out a tweet, and of course, shortly, like a few minutes later, it's like doesn't even matter, but because he did show up and he practiced in full. But I, I was under the assumption that everybody's like, well, if he just shows up, well, that's all good, fine, and dandy. And I said, well, hold on. Slow your roll there, pal, because he's got to show up and he's got to do one of these two things. And luckily, he did one of them, which was a full participant practice. Now, they could have done themselves a lot of 
good if they would have allowed Kevin Byer to talk. Now, Derek Mason and Blaine Bishop have both kind of said if he wanted to talk, he, they probably would have allowed him. Mm-hmm. And that that is an interesting point of view that maybe he just doesn't want to talk quite yet. Now, maybe he does today while we're recording this. Maybe someone in the chat could tell us, um, or maybe you could pull it up on Twitter because I, I can't, can't get to Twitter right now. But yeah. if he does end up talking, that's a fantastic sign that they are in not only in solid footing, because right now I feel like they're in solid ground, but they're on great ground. Because obviously Kevin Byard and his team are angling for a extension of some sort. That's pretty obvious, by the way, that stuff has been handled from the announcement that he was asked to take a pay cut all the way through from the agent feeding all the national guys at the same time, that they're angling for a, some kind of long-term solution. Where are you at on the Kevin Byard saga? Are you just like it's done and over as long as he talks? And if he doesn't talk this week, what does that mean to you? I think, I mean, I think it's kind of, I mean, seems to be put to bed. I mean, at this point, it's clear he's not going to hold out of mandatory stuff. So if he. So you, so you think that it's like it's all good in the hood, no matter if he talks I, or not. Now, now, I don't know for sure okay. if there's still like, you know, conversations being had about his contract or what they're going to do with it behind the scenes. I, I think that's still certainly in play. But as far as like the drama over whether he is or is not going to hold out or do anything crazy like that. I think that's done. I I think he's not holding out. He's going to like, if nothing happens with his contract, he's going to show up to training camp. He's going to play the season and it's going to, that's going to be that. So I think the only thing that can happen now is whether or not the Titans end up giving him some sort of extension or whatever he wants done with his contract that I can't imagine it's going to be a deal where, He's released all of a sudden between now and and training camp. That would seem insane. Well, it seems to me he's Uh, angling for a trade to the Eagles based on his social media post. (laughs) Ball hawk, ball hawk, Zach. Uh, (laughs) uh, Not not football. I mean, that looked like an eagle to me, not a hawk. That is, listen, that is not a hawk. That's an eagle. That he needs to work on his uh, ornithology. That is a so he's called himself he's called himself ball eagle. Maybe he's got uh, he's eagle maybe, balls. Maybe he's, a ball he's, eagle. he's got those, he's got eagle balls. But I don't know. I mean, like maybe. I thought that was uh, so earlier this year, earlier this offseason, a couple of weeks ago, he puts out the battery emoji, right? And that you know yeah. nobody really cares that he put out a battery emoji. But you know, oh, when Ryan Tannehill did it last year, the world was about to fall, and then. Now he puts in an emoji of an eagle after AJ Brown gets traded to the Eagles and all this stuff. And I'm just thinking, I don't know. I mean, like some, he needs to work on his emoji game a little bit, I think. Yeah. He's uh, uh yeah, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't really care for the random emoji tweets um, besides the eyeballs tweet, which. Oh, aren't um, you like the Trey Lance peace sign guy? You, you started all that off his Instagram story at the peace signs and all that kind of that. stuff. Oh, you started that. You were the main guy. I, po- I, I said in, interesting post on Trey Lance's IG. That was it. Him saying Rand Carthon. Yeah, you were the first the, one. The fingers, the fingers crossed yeah. emoji, which to me, uh, that's what it was. Hey, I've you. never once seen fingers crossed mean good luck. 
that I've never heard that before in my life. So, well, what do you think everybody does with you? Keep your fingers crossed. That means good luck. I mean, that's what people say. That's not how you. That's not how you wish someone good luck, though. You don't go, "Hey, good luck, man. Good luck." Well, what else? What else would they use? The two four leaf clovers, I guess they could use that emoji. Maybe he needs to go to emoji school with Kevin Byard. Uh, but you were the main guy on that one. You brought that to everybody's attention about Trey Lance. So I just want to want that out there. Um, okay, so we're I think we're kind of on the same page with Kevin Byard that he's not going to hold out and they're not going to cut him. But if things don't get solved by next year in some form or fashion, do you think he's going to play on the current contract or do you think then next year they cut him? And what do you think this fan base thinks after a year later that they actually do end up cutting him? Like, is it the same? Like, because don't you feel like, and maybe this fan base isn't smart enough to to notice this, but the writing's on the wall, right? Like, there are signs pointing that this relationship is ending sooner rather than later if there is no extension reached. Yeah, no, I, no, I definitely think next year you should be on high alert for Kevin Byard being released, you know, whether or not anything's done with his, I, I guess, especially if nothing is done with his contract over the next, you know, few weeks before the season starts or whatever. Um, because yeah, they, it seems like they are feeling like he, he is not worth the contract that he currently is on, whether they're right or not, uh, you know, remains to be seen. We'll see how he plays this year, right? Like if he comes out and has, 10 interceptions and is, you know, the best safety in the NFL, I, they're not going to cut him. Right. I mean, the, things can change. Um, but if he shows, you know, a little bit of decline and wear and tear, or, you know, just isn't, isn't able to keep up with, with guys like, you know, like Evan Ingram, um, you know, in struggles this coming year, then yeah, I would, I would think he would be high on the list of guys that they would be looking to cut. Because next year they can save a good amount of money um, by releasing him in the offseason as opposed to, to this this year when they would have had to eat a good amount of dead cap space and they wouldn't have been saving nearly as much by just outright releasing him. So, um, yeah, definitely I think you should be on at least aware of the fact that this could be Kevin Byard's final year with the Titans heading into this season. We'll we'll see. I, like I said, things can change one way or another, but it's possible heading into the season. I feel like for him to play on the current contract, that and in the current contract is just setting you up for divorce anyway. Maybe they just let it ride out if he has an All Pro year and he has one of his best careers. But at some point, they have to do something. Whether it's cutting, extending, restructuring. Well, not really restructuring. You don't want to restructure. But they're going to have to do something with that number next year. And I thought that they really need to go ahead and do something this year. And my choice was to go ahead and just extend him. Figure out a way to extend him or redo the deal in a way that works. That he gets paid. He's here long term. He retires a Tennessee. And you save money under the cap. Like that's what you they need to be working towards, not just letting it run out and maybe cut them next year. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, I I think that would probably be preferable, being proactive about it. Um, but I guess it depends on how much they think he's got left. Because it, yeah, 
if they're if they're extending him now, I mean, that's just going to make it harder to let him go in the future. I mean, it seems like he's got a lot left, right? I mean, like, do we really think that Kevin Byard is just suddenly going to not be in tip-top shape or anything? Like, I know that he's not really known for his athleticism, but he, he plays a position that you, in his particular safety position, you don't need the extreme elite athletic traits to be a successful safety. I, I'm not saying to overpay the man, but I'm saying that you need to put yourself in position. There, there's. It's really hard for me. Now, this is... I understand the business of the NFL, right? I'm one of the first people who said that this contract probably needs to be touched somehow, some way. But there's. it's really hard for me to envision a Tennessee Titans defense where or a team where Kevin Byard's last season isn't with the Tennessee Titans. It yeah, would just be really of, weird for him to end his career elsewhere. I, it definitely would be. I mean, it would be, um, it would be disappointing. I mean, it, it'd feel the same, right? That it would with Derrick Henry. Um, and I know, think it would feel a lot like more different. Yeah. It feel a lot more different to me, Derrick Henry, because I mean, Derrick Henry, while he's been great and everything, he the 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 void left by Kevin Byard is going to be felt more than by Derrick Henry when it comes to production on the field, leadership, the intangibles, and stuff like that. That's just that's just my opinion on it. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't I don't know. I feel like Henry's been a good leader and difference maker for this locker room and community too. I I I, I, I see those guys as equals on either side of the ball, really. Um, Although, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I still think Henry's a better player than Byard, but. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think currently, yes, but it's it's just, I think the team leans on Derrick Henry on his particular position and what he does for the team, then they lean on, they lean on Byard in a different way. But I, I want to talk about Tier Tart, who, while you think that Derrick Henry and Kevin Byard are the same person, you you pretty much said that Tier Tart and Dexter Lawrence should get paid the same amount of money. Uh, um, you were talking like eighteen million dollars a year for Tier Tart or no, something crazy like that when we initially God. had our discussion. It was eight million dollars a year. And, I said like seven or eight million dollars a year. Yeah. yeah, which was way too much money. But here he is. He finally signed his tender. He did the right thing and was smart about it and realized that nobody wants to pay a large amount of money. Or as and or a second round pick for a two down player. Now, yeah, can nobody, he grow nobody, into a three down player? What? Go ahead. I was gonna say no one is ever gonna pay a second round pick for T. Yeah. Tard. Like that was right. as soon as they tendered him, he had zero leverage. There was nothing he could do. Yeah. He was always just destined to sign the tender or you know sign whatever low ball offer long term that the Titans had probably thrown on the table because I'm sure they gave him like a multi-year offer and said, here, you know, if you want to sign this right now while we have you over the barrel, uh, go ahead. But uh, Tart is not going to do that, obviously. I, I think until Tier Tart proves that he could be a effective three-down nose tackle, which those are very rare, especially when you already have one guy like that, right? Like when you have Jeffrey Simmons, it's hard to find – Another Jeffrey Simmons. I guess the closest would have been like Daquan Jones when he was here would have been and Jarrell Casey, even though they're kind of like we're more like 
defensive ends slash tackles. But Tierra Tart is your run stuffing, you, you know, guy that plays two downs. And he needs to add a third element of his game, which is the pass rush presence. And that's what they've talked about. Uh, the position coaches have talked about when it comes to Tierra Tart. I'm sure that's on his mind. And let's be honest. I mean, what? This is year three of Tier Tart? Maybe year four. I can't quite remember. I think year four. We're heading into year four of Tier Tart. Yeah. Um, and he was a UDFA that played at a small school. The Titans, I think a little bit is overblown about them developing UDFAs on the defensive line. Do you agree with that? Because I feel like Tier Tart's the only one. Na- Naquan Jones was okay, but he obviously has not lived up to what people thought he could be. Isn't it just Tier Tart? That's it. I mean, I, I think I think Jeffrey Simmons has certainly developed since he's been. Well, here I, as I well. specifically said UDFA, so I, oh, I said UDFAs. what? Yeah. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah, everybody's so, like, well, I mean, the Tennessee Titans are known for uh, developing UDFA defensive linemen. I'm thinking, well. I can yeah. only really remember Tier Tart. Yeah, it's mostly Tart, and then you know, yeah, Naquan had his moment there, but didn't really stick. Um, yeah, and I don't know of anyone else. I mean, it's not like Jaden Peavy is is made a big push or anything <laughs> like that. Um, I just thought that was a but, weird. I can't remember who tweeted it out, but someone tweeted. I'm like, I'm trying to think. Like, I know they get a lot out of UDF UDFA players that they sign off the street in other positions, but I feel like this particular position of the defense, it's tier tart, and Naquan Jones is like way down on the tier list under the very lawyer. Yeah, yeah, and I don't, I don't know if maybe they're throwing in some like Sharif Finch and Derek <laughs> Roberson and stuff like that. Like, and those guys turned out really developed, right? Well, they, I mean, they didn't really turn into anything much, but yeah. they, they were useful players for the team for a bit, which is what you, what generally I would consider it would be a hit for any sort of UDFA. Um, is it, hey, can you actually show up and play, play some snaps every now and then and be useful? And that's, that's a win. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know that they're, they've got, they don't have some huge track record of development there. Um, no, not at all. And I, I feel like Tier Tart is probably worth more to the Tennessee Titans than probably other teams, particularly how they run their defense and how they want to win in the trenches. It doesn't seem like a lot of teams are trying to really pay the nose tackle, the run stuffer, hardly anymore. So I don't know what his market's going to be because to me, it sounds like everybody's under this assumption. Well, if he has a similar year to last year, uh, in 2022, that in 2024, he's going to get a big amount of money. And no offense to Tierra Tart, I just don't see this market shaking out that way for without being able to add something in the pass rush game. I mean, I, I think if you add something in the pass rush game, he'll he'll put himself in a different level for sure. But if you look at some of the guys, and it's not he's not going to get like top top defensive line money, but I do think he's like you look at a Grover Stewart, right. For the Colts who ended up getting uh 10, like right at 10 million a year. Um, you look at Devon Hamilton for the Jaguars is at 11.5 million a year. DJ reader, who is like the very best version of what Tier Tart, the lane that Tier Tart is in. And, and DJ reader doesn't bring a lot as a pass rusher. Um, got 13.2. 
Um, so there's definitely guys that are in that mold who do get paid um, decent money. I mean, you know, Daquan Jones, obviously Titan fans are very familiar with him. He got decent money when he left here, um, you know, in that seven or $8 million a year range. So hell, even like Austin Johnson, Austin Johnson's making $7 million a year right now. So to me, that's why I continue to think Tier Tart will get somewhere in the seven to eight million dollar a year range from somebody whenever he gets to actual free agency when he doesn't have that that tender hanging around him that that keeps his value down. So I, I still think next year, assuming he doesn't have some big injury, assuming he doesn't fall off a cliff play wise, I think he's gonna get seven or eight million dollars a year, maybe more, um, if he shows more as a pass rusher, because he's flashed as a pass rusher at times. He just hasn't put up being like real big numbers or sustained it uh, consistently over any period of time, which part of that is opportunity because usually he comes off the field for Autry on third down. So, you know, Autry's getting a lot of those opportunities that, that Tart otherwise would. Um, but again, yeah, I, I think Tart's a really, really good player at what he does. And Terrell Williams mentioned it uh, in one of his media availabilities recently that, he put him up against. He said he'd put him up against anybody as a run stopper in the league, and he just needs to develop that that pass rush uh, part of the game to to really round himself out as a player. I think that's exactly where he is. I think he is a top, probably five to ten, like run stopping defensive tackle in the game. Though he is very hard to move in the middle of that defense. He's a big part of why they were the best run defense in the NFL last year. So I, I think him and Simmons make an awesome tandem in the middle that Aziz Elshire and, and Monty Rice will probably uh, love playing behind. Uh, is Monty Rice actually going to play football for the Tennessee Titans, well, or is he just un- a ghost unclear. that stays inside? I mean, I feel like I feel like he's become a hermit, uh, an agoraphobe, <laughs> if you will, because he doesn't like it. Maybe he's a vampire. Maybe he's now. Maybe that's what it is. He is now a vampire, and he hates the sunlight. He can only stay indoors. You have to close all the blinds and everything, because I'm not sure that Monty Rice exists. So that takes me in Titans minicamp, and I don't really want to beat the drum of Monty Rice and Christian Fulton, two players that desperately need to be there. We know that. We know that they need to play, that it's it's time for them to get on the field and play through or practice through whatever they're going, th- going through right now. But I want to talk about Trevon Wesco. What the hell is going on with your boy, we were so happy when he got signed. He got signed live on the air during an episode that we were recording. We were pumped. We were excited. What has happened to Trevon Wesco? And what does this mean for the Tennessee Titans' depth? I mean, at this point, he looked to be trending towards a pretty integral role for this offense, right? Which is good, I guess, for Josh Wiley and Chigo Conquo that they are getting extra blocking reps. But Trevon Wesco was brought in to be that guy, and he has a, a has to gel with these two new off deep, uh, uh, offensive tackles. If he lines up on the other side, he has to learn this offense. He has to be involved in the offense and get chemistry with Ryan Tannehill. What is going on with Trevon Wesco? Do you have any inkling what is going on? I have no idea. I mean, I assume it's some sort of injury thing that's that's keeping him inside for for these uh, mini camp practices. But yeah, it sucks that he's not out there. It sucks that all these guys aren't aren't out there. Um, but yeah, I have no idea if he picked up some sort of inter- injury during training or 
during like maybe one of the very early. I can't. Has he been at any of the? He hasn't OTA been at anything. No, he wasn't um, at any OTAs. But I think he's been at the facility. He's just not yes. practicing. Um, yeah. So I, it just it's one of those kind of like mysteries. And yeah, I am still excited about him because I think he's a much much better version of Jeff Swaim. Um, which is exciting actually, because that could be make a big difference for the Titans run game. Um, if they have a really good blocking tight end out there that can handle, uh, some of these, you know, outside zone concepts and, and combination blocks that they ask that spot to, to contribute to. Um, but yeah, no, no luck, no luck getting him out there just yet. So, and look without him, they're kind of in trouble because you got Kevin Rader, who I kind of like a little bit, but you don't necessarily trust him there. You're not going to trust Josh Wiley to be thrown in there as a rookie. Um, you know, you've got like a guy like Alizé Mack from uh, the uh, XFL. XFL. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he's more of a pass catcher, I think, than a, a true like inline blocking type. And he's so not I, really good at that either. Yeah. So I, I don't know what. <laughs> I don't know what they do. I mean, hey, Jeff Swain's still available, baby. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, then that be something. Oh, my God, that'd be horrendous to have that much money tied up in Jeff Swain and Javon Wesco. Um, Tajay Spears has become the talk of the town, just like I knew he fucking would when he got drafted. And you said he sucks. He's only got one leg. He's basically a walk. He's running around on wheelchair, and he's on borrowed time. All these mean things you said just because they didn't draft a, some shitty ass wide receiver that didn't get drafted a few rounds until a few rounds these later lies, anyway. Lies, lies. Oh, that check the tweets. If I am lying, I never, check the I tweets. I never said he sucks and he's wheelchair bound or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you said he's on borrowed time. He's basically he's not going to be here for very long. And you know well, what? They I said? don't. I don't think he's <laughs> going to be. I don't think he's going to have a super long NFL career. I think he'll be done by about twenty seven or twenty eight. You know what they said? They said, screw it. If that's how everybody feels, we're just going to use them in everything and just get the most we can while he's alive is pretty right, much what I'm, they're saying because they're they're doing kick returns with them. I'm assuming maybe he's throwing in some punt returns, but I know he's doing the kick returns according to what uh, Ackerman said today. He's in two running back sets. He's being split out wide. He's doing everything. That basically me and Stoney had said that he could do, which is a great sign, and they're loading all kinds of shit on his plate, which I want to go hit on real quick because I know that Parkarski wrote an article about it. But when is the last time that there has been a rookie that they have trusted enough that they're going to throw him in as much as they can and throw at him as much as they can year one because it seems like they always like slow play him and do all this they're doing everything they can to find ways to get ty j spears involved and he is rewarding them for all intents and purpose that with with his production and he's going to do it this year even though you thought that he's only gonna get like 200 yards well i'm excited that they're going to use him the way it sounds like they're going to use him which is all over the field and in different spots in combination with Derrick Henry, um, not just as like a Dontrell Hilliard um, replacement. So I, I'm excited that they're planning on using him different ways, that they're trying to use him different ways. Um, I, I think kick return, punt return makes sense, although I, I ultimately think Kyle Phillips is still going to be the punt return 
um, by the time the season starts. It kind of seems like where they're headed, right? It kind of seems yeah. like like they're saying that every time that's been brought up, Kyle Phillips and his involvement, they're like, well, it's just, you know, two punts. We don't really know what he would have done, you know, later on down in the year. They would came up with some, you know, crazy reasons well, and I progress. Say, I will say that, like, with those two off punts, he had the one in the Giants game, which I think was before the injury, if I recall correctly, because the injury was on yeah. the final drive, so it had to have been. Um, but then that second one, I kind of give him a pass on the second one because they put him out there when, like, we saw the pictures uh, or the videos of him in uh, practice, like those weeks where he was recovering from that shoulder, and he could not lift his arm above his shoulder. Like, he was having to catch balls one-handed because he physically could not lift his arm up. And I couldn't believe they put him back there to return punts like that. But I kind of think that was just a deal where, hey, this dude seriously hurt his shoulder, um, and that caused him to drop a punt. Um, so to me, I kind of let that one go. And like, I mean, obviously the one muff punt is one too many um, in a season for a good punt returner. But um, – I kind of give him a pass on that second one. Well, and really, I mean, are we really going to see a lot of punt returns anymore with the new rules? It, it seems like it's just going to be everybody starting on the 25, you know, yard line for the most part, you know. It just yeah, seems, I think there will be some of them. Yeah. Although I think that will uh, affect kick return more than punt return. Okay, so do you want to submit an application to me and Stoney to allow you back into the Ty J Spears fan club and – and maybe you may have to write a letter of apology to Tajay because it sounds like you're coming back around to, yeah, I maybe I overreacted on Twitter because I was a little butt hurt that they didn't get a wide receiver. They ended up going in the fourth round, so they weren't worth the third round anyway. And, you know, it seems like he's going to be a little bit more involved than I thought he was. I mean, something along those lines of an apology note. I mean, I've always been a fan of Tajay Spears' talent. I'm not a terribly big fan of the medical thing or um, them spending that high a pick on a running back in their current state. I still think that's a weird pick, but hey, he could turn out to be a great player, and if he is, then you know, who cares what I think? So, I will, I will also say this. Uh, I like that Paul Kaharski today, on, he was also on Robbie and Rex Road. I don't know who scheduled that up to have two PaulKaharski.com uh, people on the same we, show we, back-to-back days. We dominate uh, Robbie and Rex Road over here. Yeah. <laughs> but the uh, he said today, and he's one of the biggest perpetrators of this, by the way, that everybody needs to quit saying that he's hurt or injured. And that, you know, the, he has been hurt or injured, and you may have concern for that, but he's not injured currently. Huh. Maybe they, maybe that's, like, been my tweet and stance since he got drafted. Hmm. Just seems a little odd that the guy that kept asking about his ACL over and over, even though he's answered previous ACL questions on all kinds of different inf- platforms, that uh, now he's coming around saying, oh, well, Taiji's looking pretty good out there, and you're using him a lot. I better, you know, tell people, Exactly what Zach said. You think that's what's going through his head? It's probably exactly word for word what he was thinking. Yeah. 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 It's it very yeah. interesting. It's very interesting. <laughs> it's almost word for word what I have, I have said ad nauseum for the last few weeks. So Tajay Spears, stock up. Chigo Conquo and Ryan Tannehill's chemistry, stock up. Um, the defense, obviously, stock up. 
And I want to talk about Jalen Duncan before we move off mini camp and talk about a little bit of a few other things. But Jalen Duncan getting the left tackle second team reps. Uh, uh, we assume second team, but he was in a picture. It was uh, he was getting a left tackle spot. What do you what do you make of that? Because we haven't heard much from or about Jalen Duncan versus Jamarco Jones, but. That's the right call, right? Like I know we've kind of gone back and forth on what Jalen Duncan should be or shouldn't be, whether he should be a guard, whether he's just a swing tackle, whether he should be a full-time left tackle. Obviously, he should get time at all the spots that he can and get the experience. But I thought that was pretty interesting. It's the first sign that we've gotten that Jalen Duncan has been on the outside because everybody else has been – nobody's said anything about it. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I, I still maintain that I think he probably is – best long-term as far as like a starting spot in the NFL as an interior player, as a guard. Um, but I, I mean, I, I think on this roster specifically right now, you've got such a huge problem at tackle outside of your starters. And then like you would have to move your starting left guard to tackle to replace one of those two guys. If they went down would probably be your best plan, like your best plan of action. So the fact that they just don't have a swing tackle right now um, makes putting Duncan there and seeing what he can do make a lot of sense to me. Well, and there's also, you know, still free agents out there they could bring in. Like, you know, they're better than Kendall Lamb or Bobby Hart, a.k.a. Sloppy Fart. They're better than those guys. But, like, a George Fant could come here. Um, you know, the, there's a... What do you think... I, I saw that Andrew Norwell got cut with a designation. And I know that we know that Skaronsky is your left guard, and we know that Daniel Brunskill is your right guard. But if Andrew Norwell actually passes a physical and is actually it's not as bad as what the commanders made it out to be or something like that, what do you think about bringing him in is that, is that too expensive for a backup? Do you think he's going to... Because he's only get paid $2.5 million this year. So where, where do you what do you feel about that? Because, I mean, he's not tackle material, so he's basically almost a guard. But it, like if you're taking Peter Skaronsky and putting him at left tackle in an injury, wouldn't you rather have Norwell there than anybody else? Yeah, I guess um, a normal or Dalton Reisner. I mean, I, like Dalton. Oh Reisner yeah, forget the Dalton Reisner is still out there, um, which is crazy to me because I still think yeah. he's a good player. Um, and I think that Cam Cam Fleming signed recently somewhere, didn't he? Did he go mm -hmm. back to the yeah. Broncos or he, something? Yeah, like he that? did go back to the Broncos. Um, which I like. I liked him as a, a option as like a swing tackle backup, or or even like just Dillard insurance in case Dillard stinks. Um, but. I, yeah, I think I think one of those guys would make some sense. Um, I like Reisner probably better than Norwell just because sticking with like the athleticism thing. And, and Reisner's not a great athlete, but Norwell's kind of a dud as an athlete. Um, so I, I would probably lean Reisner over Norwell if they were going to make another investment on the offensive line. Um, but yeah, I, I think it certainly would bear looking into for the right price and everything like that. And, you know, hey, I mean, I – Worst case scenario, you give Brunskill some competition or, um, you know, if, if somebody's in camp and just looks like they just can't handle it, um, you know, maybe you move some people around or, or slide somebody in. But right. Yeah. Right now, they basically have a starting five because they have no 
sixth guy that's worth looking at anywhere, right? Like, who's the sixth guy on this offensive line right now? Yeah, because you would assume that it's technically... I guess you would say it depends on if, if a tackle goes out, wouldn't you think Corey Levin goes to the left guard spot or the center spot and Aaron Brewer moves over and then you got Skaronsky move over, right? Yeah, like, don't you think that that's the first? But is that the so six? Levin, is that considered the six guy or is Jamarco, someone like Jamarco Jones would be considered the six guy or maybe Jalen Duncan plays his way into being the six guy? Yeah. Or but, uh, yeah, I guess. Way. I guess my overall point is that all of those guys are bad for your six offense. Right. Lineman. Like none of those guys yeah. are good. Options. None of those guys are 17, 16 game worthy. Like if you need them in for yeah. one game, you could probably scheme something up. Cause we've seen Corey 11 play I'd, admirably I'd, for two or three games. I'd feel the best about him. If you had to put somebody in out of that group, I'd feel the best about him going in and then sliding Skaronsky out to tackle or where, or moving stuff around to where you get those five in there. Um, but I, I don't feel great about Jamarco Jones. I don't feel great about um, Duncan because, I mean, I don't feel great about most offensive line rookies, but especially not one like Duncan who's coming off of a, a really tough final year at Maryland. Um, yeah, so I, I think it, upgrading your depth on the offensive line certainly would help. And, you know, I think both those guys, North, Norwell and Reisner, give you something there. Uh, moving to kind of expectations. So you wrote a piece about defensive expectations for 2023. Now, you were on Robbie and Rex Road, like I've already mentioned, and you gave out a what do you think is a proper expectation for Harold Landry? So in terms of sack, what do you feel is a proper expectation for Harold Landry in terms of sacks? I think I said uh, like somewhere around like seven or eight. Um, yeah, I thought that was way Landry. too high. I'm, I'm glad that you, you remembered uh, correctly because you said about seven or eight. And I'm yeah. thinking, I'm sitting there, I'm, uh, I'm watching you. I'm uh, making Havana's food. And I'm watching him hearing you say that, and I about dropped all of the food that I was making on the floor because I couldn't believe that a guy that has only had, what, like one or two seasons where he's gotten that, who's coming off an ACL injury, like that's, a, that's one of his better seasons if he got seven or eight sacks. He's, he's, to me, it's like if it's 5.5, I'd be very surprised. Really? Yeah, well, I, he's coming I, off an I, I mean, ACL history, and how good is Arden Key going to make Harold Landry because Harold Landry absolutely needs someone to make him better on the opposite side. So I'm not, I like Arden Key, but I'm not sure how much he's going to make Harold Landry better. Yeah. I, I guess part of what I'm baking into that number as well is also, I think Jeffrey Simmons and Danica Autry make Harold Landry significantly better as well. I, I think those guys help him a lot and are going to be able to free him up for some sacks. And, and look, hey, part of it's, He's going to get a lot of opportunity. He's going to be out there a lot because they don't have depth um, behind him, which, you know, has been one of my constant themes of the offseason. Because um, it's not like, I mean, you, and part of the problem is you can't like just stick Rashad Weaver in there and ask him to do the things that Harold Landry does, right? Like, because those are two completely different types of players, um, even though they play the same position. So I think Landry's going to play a lot. I think he's going to be relatively effective i i don't think he's gonna be as good as he was in 2021 when he had 12 sacks um but i mean his past what three seasons he'd had 
nine sacks, five and a half, and then 12. So what does that average out to? That's somewhere around like right around nine um, on average. So I'm coming a, you know, a sack or two off of his average um, over that three-season span. So I, I think that's a reasonable projection. I don't know. I think you're setting people up for a lot of hope, which is unlike you in this offseason because usually you would be like, hey, he's getting like one sack and he's going to lose a, a testicle at some point this offseason. <laughs> That's what you would say. Um, so the rest of this defense, where we know that the run defense is good and and I see no reason for that not to be the same. I I, I just can't imagine if this run defense is still not going to be near the top of the league, at least top three. The pass defense was abysmal last year. So they got rid of Anthony Midget. They brought in Chris Harris, who has been an infectious person uh, for the defensive back uh, room. He's a, he's a known teacher, a known commodity. Um, they also, you know, Caleb Farley's not out there. Neither is Christian Fulton. Elijah Molden is sometimes out there. Kevin Byard is back. But Sean Murphy Bunting has been out there. Roger McCreary has been out there. Trey Avery has been out there. Monty Hooker has been out there. But you also need to factor in, in your pass defense, the pass rush, which we kind of talked about. You know, you get a boost from Harold Landry. We don't really know. We know that Arden Key is good, but we don't know how good is he going to be. Danico Autry is going to be healthy. Jeffrey Simmons is going to be healthy. But I also want to factor in Aziz Alshair into all this because I feel like every time that he talks, I'm like, why has this kid not gotten like five all pros? Like he is just, he's an infectious person to hear talk. And I could hear him do a press conference for hours, but he's making pass breakups in OTAs. He's scouting, he's getting in the, uh, under the skin and in the head of Ty J Spears. So like, I feel like this pass defense should be better even though there's no true shut down perimeter corner. Do you feel that way after reading your article? Because I kind of get the sense like you feel like it's going to be better. It's kind of like the offensive line. Like you feel like it's going to be better, but you don't know yeah. how much better. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like it's I, – I think it's going to be better. I, I think Chris Harris will help. I think um, they'll have more corner depth. This year, because I, I, McCreary in year two, you'd expect him to take a step forward. Uh, I think Murphy Bunting was a really nice addition. I feel really good about him. And then, look, I mean, we'll see when Christian Fulton gets on an actual football field again. But assuming Christian Fulton is actually healthy and can play football this year, um, that's a really nice trio of corners, in my opinion. I, I, it's not like elite top tier, but it's good. Um, and then when this group was healthy last year, I think they were a lot better than when they were, you know, not healthy, obviously. I mean, that that's an obvious statement, but I went through in that article and talked about, you know, some of the injury issues that they had. And they only had basically two guys who were healthy all season on defense, McCreary and Byard, and that was it. Um, and, you know, you compare that to someone like Jacksonville who had 10 defenders who played in all 17 games. Um, and that included eight of their starters. So they were basically healthy all season long, front to back on defense and on offense too. The Jaguars had one of the more like, you know, touched by an angel seasons of all time from an injury standpoint 
last year. Um, but uh if the Titans are able to stay healthy on defense, I think this will be a good defense. I, I, I think people sometimes maybe get a little carried away with jumping to the, like, it's going to be a great defense or that this is a Super Bowl caliber defense, that kind of thing. Because I, I just think they lack some of the, like, prime, like, really high-level pieces that you need to be considered at that level. Like, they don't have... Hey, they the lack... I feel like... Rusher. You don't... You don't so you're you don't think Harold Landry do you think the way this team is built though it's kind of like a, it's about the the unit the sum of the parts not yeah. just one one guy but I feel like what this team needs isn't a premier edge rusher even if they should have spent some money and got Leonard Floyd um what they should have what they desperately need is your perimeter corner I feel like if you got a peri- perimeter premier perimeter corner whether that's in the draft like Caleb Farley was supposed to be or in free agency. Like, I feel like that is what this defense is missing from being an elite defense. I think overall though, this is a, this is a top 15 near borderline top 10 defense. If everybody stays healthy. Right. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's likely going to be close to top 10 level if if they stay healthy i, I think that's carried probably. carried by the 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 run defense by the way oh the bulk yeah. of that the bulk of those stats and efficiency stats and all that kind of stuff will be carried by the run defense i i think they're going to be an elite run defense this year I, I think you know simmons and tart almost guarantee that i think the scheme helps um i think they they are well coached they are disciplined they do a lot of things that really work in the run game I think where you need to see some of that carryover is, is can Aziz Alshire kind of become that like bridge to the secondary uh, at linebacker? Because I think that's important. Um, they kind of had that in David Long. David Long had really taken big steps forward as a pass defender um, by last season. But of course, you know, you lose him over the back half of the year. Uh, so can and he ain't Alshire, practicing right now either? Right, exactly, exactly. Soft and soft tissue boys, stay soft tissue boys. Yeah, but he's got he's got um, paper mache uh, for hamstrings apparently. So, um, but I, I think the question is that can can Amani Hooker, speaking of injuries, stay on the field for for seventeen games? Because look, they they got some good play out of Andrew Adams, but there was a clear drop off. Like you know, it's just Hooker is a much more talented player, athlete, everything. Um, so can they keep, can they get 17 out of hooker? And then, you know, the next thing is going to be the pass rush. And I, I think Simmons and Autry give you like a baseline, but then like they are expecting a lot out of Arden key. They're expecting a lot out of Harold Landry coming off of the ACL. And I, I think that's, that is where my biggest question is, is, is this pass rush actually going to be the strength that we've thought it has been? the last couple of years. And it has been at times like they, they, there were times when everyone was healthy, that it was a terror to deal with this, these guys up front. I'm trying to figure out whether or not that is going to look the same this year as it has the past couple. Like, Cause I'm not sure that it is. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I, I, there's some question marks on, there's some questions. I wouldn't say question marks, but there's some questions about this defense but everybody's so focused on the offense. It's almost like if you trade for DeAndre Hopkins, is everybody going to shift to the defense and start nitpicking all that kind of stuff finally? You know, we'll just see. Um, That will do it for us. 
I'm Zach Lines. You can follow me on Twitter at FWordsPod. He is Mike Herndon. You can follow him on Twitter at Mike Herndon NFL. You can read all of his works at paulkarski.com. You can read all of my works at stackingtheinbox.com. This has been Football and Other F-Words. And as I disappear to the white abyss to start the video, this has been Football and Other F-Words. And you have just been effed.